pride meets with coming judgment. Since we don't like judgment and we say that we don't like to judge, it then would behoove us to do that which is right. It makes sense to do that which brings honor and glory to God. The last time when we met, we spoke in the first point, God speaks, which would, which is the same thing that we will again pick up on. As I mentioned the last time, the name Obadiah means servant or worshiper of the Lord. Servant or worshiper of the Lord. There's not a whole lot known about this person by the name of Obadiah. Obadiah was a common name in the Old Testament, but this prophet, not much is known about. He comes on the scene and he pronounces judgment against a group called Edom. They are descendants of Esau. We think of Jacob and Esau, the sons of Isaac and Rebekah, and and when we consider them, uh, these boys, we know that they were twins. Esau sold his birthright to his brother for a pot of pottage or stew, a pot of soup. The Bible says that he was so hungry, he said, give me some of that. His brother said, give me your birthright. We're going to go back and just read that entire chapter, I believe, uh, when I get to chapter verse number 6. But I want you to know that you've got to be so very careful that when you think you are in a very desperate place, you don't make rash decisions. You've got to be very, very careful because you sometimes will give away your very being and your very life because of what you're going through or what you are facing. And so you've got to be very careful of what you do. When we consider Esau, he came into judgment because he was one of the ones, rather than helping the children of Israel, he rejoiced when they were taken captive to Babylon. And in fact, when they were taken to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, they not only rejoiced, they went and then occupied the territory where Judah had been living. They were the ones that actually brought harm and welcomed the invasion. Because of all the evil that they did against the children of Israel, God said that you are going to have to pay a price. Now, as I told you, it is not known exactly when the book of of Obadiah was written, but in history, some believe that it was written during the 6th century B.C., during the time when Nebuchadnezzar made, or after he made his third pilgrimage or journey from Babylon to Judah. There were three times when King Nebuchadnezzar invaded Judah. Now remember, God used the enemies of Israel to chastise them. Be very careful. Do you not know that if you are outside of the will of God, he may use your worst enemy to chastise you. But what the Lord does after he uses the enemy to chastise them, 
He then says, I'm going to now deal with the enemy. I'm going to deal with the very one that I sent against you because you are my people. And many of the enemies went beyond what they should have gone in bringing about judgment. When we say sometimes some things can be overkill, it's just too much. You didn't have to do all of that. If you won the fight, there's no point to keep kicking the person when they're down. There are some things like, you know what, that's enough. But there are some people that have no mercy. And this is what Esau, or the children of Edom, did against Judah. They had no mercy. So the Lord says, I'm going to deal with you. And this is what this book of Obadiah is about. It is about the judgment of God being pronounced against a people that thought that they were so high up, they were so prideful that there was nothing that anybody could do to bring them down. God says, I know where you live. Now when God says he knows where you live, that's saying something. Now you don't want your enemy knowing where you, where you live. Now you give your address to your friend. Don't come on over, you give your address. But you don't want everybody knowing where you live. When God says, I know where you live, it often is a depiction of coming judgment. Edom was one of those individuals, those groups that made their homes in the rocks. They had built in these tremendous monuments and, and, and lived in this, this, this fascinating place. And it was here that the Lord says, I'm going to bring you down. Edom was the inhabitants of, I should say, of Idumea, I-D-U-M-A-E-A. They were the descendants of Esau. Now, also, King Herod, King Herod was, a, was a, an Edomian. He was not Jewish. He was an Edomian. He was... We call him Herod the Great. He was a great warrior, but he also was a great builder, where he gets his name, Herod the Great, also a crazy man. Be careful when crazy people get power. Herod, Pilate, Nero, crazy people. Be careful. Because... They can do some dastardly things. Petra was the capital of Edom. The capital of Edom. It was Alexander the Great during that time between what we call the Testaments, between the Old and the New Testaments, which is called the Intertestamental Period. Between the Testaments, there was a period of 400 years between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, where the Bible, we, what we call those the silent years, where there was no direct revelation from God to the prophet, but a lot was taking place during those times. It was during this time where Alexander the Great came on the scene, and he basically, <clears throat> not turned, but he changed the culture, and he, what we would say, everything became Greek. He began to have Greek influence. And, and, and so the language even changed. And so when we consider Alexander the Great, 
He was a revolutionary. He conquered what we say the known world. It was during the events after the Edom had conquered Babylon and, and, and Alexander the Great had come on the scene. Greek culture basically lasted, and to this day, it, it, it was so powerful that many of the Jewish people even spoke Greek. We call them the Hellenists. Today, Greek-speaking Jews are Jews who speak Greek. It was because of the influence of Alexander the Great. When God sends judgment, it does not often or always come at a time that you expect. It sometimes will happen, sometimes years later, but because it had already been decreed, it was because of something that happened way back then. So when the Lord says that we are to repent, it is so that we can avoid problems and judgment way down the road. So you might think that you're getting away with something, but that's not the case. And so was the case with Edom. They thought because we are high and lifted up that we can get away. God sent Alexander the Great. He's even referenced in the book of Daniel. And we consider the fact that God says that he would use nations to chastise his people. And we see that even here in this matter of Obadiah. Verse number four says, Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down. It is a matter of them thinking that they were so high that the Lord compares them to an eagle. There's not a bird that flies higher than an eagle. There's not really a more majestic bird than the eagle. Do you not know that the eagle can fly directly into the current and not be affected and use the current to soar? So that you rarely see eagles flapping up. They just take the currents, those thermals, those, that warm and cold air, and they ride the currents up to the highest heights. They make their nest upon, the, upon the, the rocks and in the clefts of the rock, away from danger. It is there where they are provided, and oftentimes they have safety. And when you think of the eagle, you think of a bird that's majestic. Their eyesight is incredible. And in fact, I found out not, not long ago that all birds, are, and, and birds of prey, all of them have good eyesight. But eagles have incredible eyesight. That three miles up in the air, it can spot a rabbit way down in the valley little rabbit. They can see, as I told you before, a fish. When they, up, when they can be hundreds of feet up, they can spot a fish down under the water. When they go after their prey, they chase their prey. In fact, they will chase them into the wind because they can navigate the currents. And so the eagle will oftentimes, when the bird is trying to get away when there's a wind, it will chase them right into, the, into where the, the, the air is coming or the wind is very strong. It catches them up in there because it can navigate and catch its prey. Eagles stay together for life. Not uncommon to see those that have been captured of those 30 years with the same mate. They have their children, their babies, their, their eaglets. 
they'll provide comfort in that nest. But when it's time for that eaglet to go, it began to remove those those feathers in that comfortable nest. They begin to move things away so that the thorns that are underneath, they can't find any place comfortable to remain. When it's time for that eagle to fly, that mama eagle will push that eagle out the nest. High up in that it's the father that comes underneath and will allow that eagle while it's falling to fall right on his back, his pinions, and it will raise up and it soars back up to the top. That's how eagles learn to fly, by being pushed out of the nest. And while they're falling, it's the parents that comes underneath and it falls on the back and it rises up again. God, God made an incredible world. When you think of eagles, you think of majesty, you think of a bird of greatness. I was, last year, came from Belinus and I told, I think some of you may have heard, and went to Saturn Cinema, went to go see the student and I saw some other People, after I was, when we were meet, meeting, I saw the, the, the staff, they were having some event, looking in the air. I said, what's going on? So a few minutes later, I came and said, what were you, what's looking at? What you guys looking at? We just saw a bald eagle. And he came right by the trees, and he says, it's up there. And as I looked, I saw a small speck way up there. Just, mar- I, like, I like birds, so. Um, <laughs> but I, I just marveled. And how high it was. It was a beautiful, clear day. But they saw this, this eagle soaring, just going. And it was just so fascinating that we just stood there and watched. We were marveling at God's creation and the majesty of God. What they know to do instinctively. So these eagles, great birds. Wonderful. So whenever they thought of eagles, a bird that was majestic. So when the Lord says, I brought you out of Egypt, children of Israel, people of God, on eagles' wings. He brought you out so that when you were tumbling, when you thought you would fall, he came underneath. It's a people that forgets what God has done where judgment sets in. And it was Esau that forgot the goodness of God. How he had blessed Esau and Jacob. How he had blessed them. Well, one forgot what God had done. And when we forget what God has done, judgments will set in. So it was Esau, the Edomites, who the Bible compares in verse number four to eagles. Again, now, look at what it says. Though you soar aloft like the eagle, from your nest, Though your nest, rather, is set among the stars, that means way up there, from there I will bring you down. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Hmm. There are three rhetorical questions in verse number five that start with the word if. If if these came to you, If plunderers came by night, those two basically go together. How you have been destroyed. Would they not only steal enough for themselves? Here's a third one. If grape gatherers came to you. Three rhetorical questions. A rhetorical question is a question that is asked 
where the answer is already implied in the answer. So when he says, if these came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you, he, he says, how you've been destroyed. He throws an inserts a, a statement there. He says, would they not steal only enough for themselves? The answer would be yes. Because the thief only comes basically at night if he's going to steal. He wants to take that which he can get away with. He's not coming trying to say, well, let's see, there's a couch there. I'm going to see if I can carry that couch out the front door. No, he's looking for valuables. But the Bible here is comparing Edom to one who is going to be totally destroyed. One would think that if a thief came, he's going to only take that which he can get away with. He can get out with. So there would be still some things that would be left. Give me seven minutes, I'll be done. But what God says about Edom, because of your pride, you're going to be totally destroyed. There's not going to be anything left. Have you ever come to a place and you looked around, they stole everything. Then sometimes when a thief comes, one is going to look, did they get this part here? And you run and you look and say, oh, they got this too. Or if they didn't get it, you say, oh, thank God they didn't get that. There's something that we're looking for, even though the situation may be bad, one finds hope in something that's left. But the Bible says, Edom, you're going to be completely, completely destroyed. The thieves are not going to leave anything for you. What causes you to change your mind and repent? What does it take for you to change your mind when judgment has been pronounced? What, what gets to you? What, what do you say? You know what? That's enough. I'm going to change my mind. Edom didn't get the message until God had to say, I have to send judgment. When the Lord judged Judah and the Israelites, he would often leave a remnant. He would often leave a small group of people um, so that they could have something so that when he restored them, they would be able to build from the little that they had. But that would not be the case with Edom. Verse 6, if thieves came to you, excuse me, he says, how Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. Edom would be so pillaged that what one might expect to happen, the very thing that one would think would happen was not going to happen to them. Can you imagine that you are so utterly and totally devastated that you can't even rub two stones together. Some people say pennies. You ain't got no pennies. Two stones. Quickly turn with me to chapter 27 of Genesis. I think I'm going to end there. I'm not going to even get to verse 7. Let me just read as much as I can of chapter 27 of the book of Genesis. I want you to follow along. So we're going to end today. I may not get through all of it. This is how it reads. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called, his, he called Esau, his oldest son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am, he said, Behold, I am old, I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. 
And prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So, when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord, before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare them, prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to, to, his, to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, <coughs> Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her youngest, younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game. That your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord... God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands of the but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate. He brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see the smell of my son. It is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed then he goes on to blessing. Now, I want you to go down. Verse number 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father Esau, his brother, came in from the hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he will be blessed. 
As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. The first was his birthright. He took away the birthright, my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers. I have given him to him for servants. I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth should your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. I'm going to pause there and end. This is the story of Jacob and Esau that runs all through the Old Testament and the history and the problem that they had. And I'm going to tell you this. Even with all the craziness, all of the issues, God is still a forgiving and a loving God. Let me say this if you stand, as you stand to your feet. God can take the worst situation, even within a family, and turn it around. Cause you to still be blessed. And even though there will be problems, God is a God of sovereignty and knows what he's doing. But it's the person who refuses to repent. And you look at Esau, you constantly see in him going in the opposite direction of God. What do you do when pride meets with coming judgment? We've got to learn to repent and do it God's way. Lord, today we honor you for who you are. We pray that we will take every advantage that you've given us. And remember that you brought us out on eagle's wings. When we look at our history, that we won't be bound by it, but that we will use the things that have happened to us, to our even disadvantage, to bless and honor you. And to, Lord, use those circumstances to mount the currents and to climb and to soar to new heights. We give you the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.